recorded live in Golden Ox Studios. Welcome to another episode of Friday Late Show. This is a podcast about bombing because everyone does it. This episode is brought to you in part by DelightCafe.com. Calm and balanced. Hemp CBD dietary supplement. Has all the natural properties without the high of feeling of THC. I use it all the time, so I'm so calm. And as you see me early without my CBD supplement, I put it in my coffee on some mornings. I've even mixed it with, mixed it with ketchup and ate fries with it. Uh, great feeling without the high of marijuana or THC. Go to delightcafe.com and also save 10% by entering the promo code BRUTON. B-R-U-T-O-N. My last name is the promo code. B-R-U-T-O-N for 10% off at delightcafe.com. Also, I'd like to give a big shout out to silentfortuneapparel.com. It's a new streetwear brand I've been rocking. Uh, They have sweatshirts and hoodies I wear a lot. And they have t-shirts available on the website, silentfortuneapparel.com. The brand is dope as hell. Uh, It stands for Silent Hustle and Quiet Grind. That's Silent Fortune. Uh, Also follow them on Instagram, Silent Fortune Mafia. And SilentFortuneApparel.com gave me a promo code. It's Bruton. It's B-R-U-T-O-N. Enter that for 10% off on your purchase. Let you check out. Uh, Rock that new sweatshirt. Even tag me in it if you want. Or also tag Silent Fortune Mafia on Instagram. Um, You know, check them out. And now enjoy the show. On this episode of Friday Late Show, we have the very funny Clark Jones. Uh, He started off comedy. He's from Chicago. And he recently moved to L.A. for a writing job. And then, you know, of course, Corona changed the country. So talking to another L.A. comic was a, it's a treat. <laughs> They're bright as sunshine. But I'm glad they're doing okay. Uh, it's a very short episode, too. So, you know, just have a good time with my friends. Got to reconnect. Enjoy the episode. Me. That's Clark Jones, Chicago up, native, man? LA resident. How you, how you been holding up, man? I know you was keeping everybody cool for a while. He was the first person checking on everybody, man. Yeah, I mean, it's up and down, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's all good. It's been hard. Comedy, I thought comedy was going to come back in, in a cool way when I seen Chappelle post a special and then. When Chappelle, I mean, then when D.L. Hughley passed out two weeks later, it was like, I guess that was a false star like fuck, man. We are not Chappelle. We are so not sure. We should, I mean, we should follow his lead and like addressing certain things, but he's doing a whole different thing. I don't, I don't think it was like 20 people there. Oh, yeah. I don't think it should be that many. I mean, it was just enough, just a small yeah. engagement. They was at Zany's like it was 2019. Like they was packed in this closed door venue like it like COVID never happened Dude, even no with, even Ch- Chase shows are outside mm-hmm. even the uh the Chappelle thing like in a barn where there was like holes or whatever it wasn't like an enclosed comedy venue 
Yeah. Plus Tennessee had no. You didn't have to wear a mask in Tennessee. Well, I didn't know that was. I didn't because I was. I did that club before. I did Nashville before. Yeah. That club gets. They're on top of you in that club. But you're, everybody's Dude, healthy. On top of each other in the clip, man. It was horrible. Yeah, I got anxiety. Like, man, I'm not ready. Uh, I was gonna go out with Ali. Me and Ali Sadiq was gonna do helium in Indiana that weekend, the 25th to the 28th of June, and we uh, in, called me on Monday. Indiana reopened because uh, what's the one in Bloomington? I think that's helium. No, no, that's mm, what is that one in Bloomington? I don't think that's helium. That's uh, uh the Comedy Attic reopened. Ah. Uh, yeah, because I, I, Ali called me on Monday night like, man, I don't really feel too hot about this weekend. I'm like, man, shit, me neither. My girl pregnant, and she wasn't really a fan of it. I was going to have to stay in the basement. I was going to have to sleep in the basement uh, for a week to make sure I wasn't going to die. Congratulations, she, man. We'll see. I mean, if I ain't got no money, it's going to be a goddamn it, John. That's true. Right now, I appreciate the congratulations. It should be cool. But I mean, right, now, yeah, right now, congratulations. Yeah, oh yeah. Let me give you a proper intro. Uh, on the show, on, on Friday Late Show, on this edition of Friday Late Show, very hilarious Chicago native, LA, LA resident, Clark Jones. First of all, comedy special up right now. Uh, yes, original, one, of the, uh, original, one of the original hosts of the Knitting Factory comedy show in New York, in Brooklyn. Isn't it in Brooklyn? Well, one of the, sec- the second wave. The second wave. It was you, Will Miles, and Kenny DeForest. Uh, and the classic Black Dude podcast. Absolutely. Right here on my show now. Appreciate you. Been a What's fan, going on, man? Fan. Uh, you know, just trying to do the podcast thing myself. Trying to get it going. Figured I got some famous friends I start asking favors for. <laughs> famous. You should reach out to one of your famous friends. <laughs> you I got, oh, by the way, man, thanks for the uh, the writing thing. That was a good, good oh, thing. Cool. I'll send you what I got too later. Uh, when we get done, I'll send you what I came up with. But uh, yeah, man, it's been cool. Just it's a whole podcast about bombing. That's why I call it the Friday Late Show because that's like the show that's like the hardest show in comedy clubs. So Friday yeah. Late Show. It depends. I don't want to take away from the premise of the show, but the Friday Late Show. I've had more trouble with the Saturday Late Show, especially really? coming up. Really? Yes, because they're the drunkest. Um, so it depends on what you consider rough. Like Friday late can be tough because Friday early can be tough because a lot of people work that day. Friday late could be tough because people work that day and they're even more tired if they didn't get a nap in, but it could be the best show because some people work, they took a nap, then they came to a comedy show. So I've seen the Friday late be the best show. Oh yeah, I've had a, I've had, always had rough ones with those shows. I just yeah, my, any show, show could be the worst show. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, being from Cleveland, we got the improv, so every show is yeah. fucking any. It's possible you never know any given any given bomb day. Saturday yeah. early can be bad because what the fuck are y'all doing at a what at a Saturday early comedy show? Have you ever done a Sunday early show? How early? Like I've seen some that are three p.m. on a Sunday, like fresh out second game of the NFL about to kick on. Second, I mean, any daytime comedy show that's not for charity is <laughs> asking for it. Like or niche, where it's like 
we're here for a purpose, not just, hey, comedy show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to be rough. It don't have to be. People listening to this ep- to this podcast episode could be like, you know what? We're going to make it different. And we're going to be attentive and we're not going to he- heckle and we're going to have shit else to do. We're just going to go to a comedy show and listen to the jokes if they're good and laugh if they're good. Y'all can make it be the difference. But them Saturday late, I've never not seen a drunk, rowdy crowd at a late Saturday. It's impossible. I know the Saturday show also has the X factor of bachelorette parties. Yeah. In the summertime, the right club has a bachelorette party that nobody asked for. That's, <laughs> only, that's, never on Friday. that's always on Saturday. Saturday, yep. Having a show like the Ning Factory, isn't the crowd like better equipped for comedy? Like, aren't they a better crowd than most? Because they just know what they're getting? No, not necessarily. I mean, that was the misconception. Like, if your jokes are good, yeah, you're going to kill. But, like, it wasn't like a... I've seen people struggling there, period. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of people bombing because it was a lot of people in. Comedy crowds can be, like, a little like, well, if other people are laughing, I'm going to laugh too. But it was a great place to perform, but it wasn't bomb-proof. Mm. You know, going in, there, going in there lazy or with no swag or, like, being very clubby might not get you the laugh you want, but people will listen. They give you the opportunity, put it that way. And the what good kind of think on their feet. What is clubby? Um, It's like, yo, I've seen, like, Lori Kilmartin, for example. She talks family stuff. She's a mom. Mm-hmm. But the jokes work. But, like, a lot of, you know, family comedy didn't really hit in that room. Mm. Like, my wife... Take my wife, please. Like, yeah, okay, okay. All right, any young man ain't gonna hit, and unless you're doing that and making fun of it in kind of a way, and I don't ain't that ain't to disparage that. I'm just saying in that room, it didn't really hit. Oh, yeah, you're not talking about the quality of it overall, just that room. I mean, every environment comedy is not just the jokes, it's it's always gonna be the the confidence you say it because delivery I've seen get over more than some jokes I've seen, I've heard. They haven't been really that solid, but the way they were delivered made people die laughing. Absolutely. So, you know, it's like, it's it's like none of the tropes, if you rely on tropes and like, just, you know, is the cerebral, some level, some level of cleverness to your material or your performance, like you said, the swag of it, the way you deliver it, all these things, um, for me, because I don't really like to, when performance would go up, I wouldn't even really watch. I would sit on the side and just listen to it and just listen to how often are the people laughing. Mm. It helped me as a host because I didn't want to get too much into what they were talking about because I want to always be coming from my own perspective. But I just want to see how well they were doing based on how many roars do I hit, you know, last per minute type shit. Yeah, because I remember I heard about y'all show. And I wanted to make something like that here, where just a, sh- a room that comics could be comedians, like come out here and try new material, do material more than just try to get in the club. Because the club stuff, as a clubby, is, is like you just, you're trying to tell the booker what they want to hear. You're trying to do material that you think the booker's going to like to book you, as opposed right. to, I wrote a joke that I think people will laugh at. Yeah, I mean, it ain't necessarily the place to be brave with your material. 
so to speak. I mean, and I don't I don't look down on that because you got to get paid. <clears throat> you got to get paid in this thing. So whatever you got to do to get book, get paid, whatever, have a whole arsenal. And I don't think that that's pandering either because you wrote the jokes. Yeah, you know what I'm I've saying? seen you do club stuff. I've seen you. Uh, matter of fact, you when you stayed <laughs> when you stayed here with me, uh, the one day you was passing through Cleveland, and you yeah, did a quick I did, play. I oh, did. Yeah. Like I try to make my material as undefinable, which career wise may not be the best because people want to be able to like, all right, you're this type of comedian, I can get you this work, mm. but like it's just all Clark stuff, and I'm trying to make that. It's funny to as many people as possible. Sometimes, you know, some shit might lean a little bit more towards a certain direction, but I'm just trying to make it funny, not necessarily funny for a certain crowd. Because the same set I do, I did at Hilarities, I do in Brooklyn. I do in L.A. And that's a, the biggest thing about, like, touring is to see, like, is this just some Midwest shit where I'm from? Is this just some funny Southern shit? Like, is it? does it hit everywhere? But I do the same right now. I'm at a point where I do the same set no matter where I go. All right. Um, have you had when you that learning curve when you came from the Midwest? How when you go into New York first? How was learning curve from Chicago to New York or from New York to L.A. or Chicago to L.A. like that that change? Chicago to, to New York was a a big learning curve just because. You had to, you, I had to tap into my cerebral shit. Like, I was mostly doing clubs when I came from Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I didn't understand a lot about, you know, quote unquote, alter room, alt rooms or independent comedy shows. I didn't know anything about that. So it was a big learning curve. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, bombing in New York, but I didn't feel like I really was connecting. You know, I didn't reach like or scourge the depths of a joke to to like really get to how is this perspective different than anybody else's. Mm. It was almost like I didn't audit the material. I like to say that. Whereas like I didn't I went with the maybe the second level of what's funny about this. Yeah. Or like you'll see a lot of people bust a special out of nowhere. And it's like, you didn't audit this. You just went with the first thing that was funny about it. That's what you said. Yeah, hey, I call those that? first thought jokes. Yeah, it's just like, ah, that's funny. Write it, do it. Ah, that's funny. And it's just like, no, nah, you didn't really. Half baked. You half baked. You didn't pick the, you didn't pick the meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> off the bone of it. Like, you know when a joke is just like, damn, ain't shit left on there. Like John Mulaney doing SVU, ain't no meat left. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, he had a, he 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 really cleans it though. Him, he cleaned the fuck mm, off of. Orwood Junior, another person that when they do a bit, they don't just they. He did a bit for late night. His thing about his son love firefighters more than police. Yeah, and the way oh. he dug deep for six minutes straight, just giving you examples of police versus firemen and how they deal with the community, and just oh, it was beautiful. He was the first one to do the. Uh, the firemen police that I've seen. There's no such, there's no song called Fuck the Firemen. Mm-hmm. He was doing that first and, you know, Twitter just kind of took it and made a a recyclable tweet out of it. Yeah, like, they pressed it to the easiest common, yeah. Right. But that's all, that all came from Roy Wood first. Greg, um, I'm sorry, what's my man? The tall one, Greg. Fitzsimmons? No. 
he's a New York guy. He talks about like the license plates or no, not the license plates. How the, 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 he did a five minute bit just on the abbreviations for states. Mm. <laughs> um, I forget who it was, but like, yeah, man, if that ain't my style of comedy, because I have, I just get impatient. <laughs> I'd rather just write a new bit than write a five minute on just like that type of thing. Like it's good. I, I salute it, but it ain't my style. And that that also, yeah, when you, that, that that's the other thing that comes with being more comfortable as a comedian, like when you're just okay with like, okay, I don't have to do it like somebody else. I respect it, but I can figure out my own voice with it. Yeah, because mine, I, I just thought of a bit that uh, I do bits where I, I like how um, Bill Burr would say a statement first, then defend it. Yeah. So I uh, I have one where I say gay men are, are the last real womanizers of America because they're the only men that can really hit on you like we used to. Like, right. like the gay dude was hitting on me one time. Like, I'm, I'm not interested. How you know you're not gay? Like, dude, come on, leave me alone. Like, come mm-hmm. on, man. I was like, he kept pressing. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. Women... I know how I know how they feel, but I we don't even have the same complaints. Yeah, Brock had a thing like that too, and they probably I'm sure they you know ran across each other and talked about that of just making a statement, doing a defense, then restating the original statement. Mm-hmm. Women be shopping. <laughs> Women be shopping. Yeah, like, literally yeah. that like sandwich the joke. The meat is obviously the funny, and then the bread is the statement. Yeah, cause I realize it's better for me because some of my ideas are, it's kind of, I don't like to set them up the same way. Like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, that shit, I don't like talking like that. I don't talk like that any other time. So yeah. I like to just say something kind of outrageous and then defend it. That way, you know, I mean, if I lose you, that's cool. Now I know who I'm talking to. If right. you're laughing, that means you already get the humor, you already see where it's funny. But let me show you where I thought it was like. I'm, that's the first thought. Whatever you're thinking right now is the first thought. Let me show you the funniest part of this concept. Mm-hmm. But I'm just telling you that style does the part that people I laugh at because some people understand that when you go on stage, you're not always performing for stardom. Sometimes you're performing to work a joke out, and some sure. crowds don't want to really feel. Some crowds don't want to know that they don't. I get that they don't really want to think that I'm just a a practice fuck. But sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> practice. That's what I kind of like to say. I'm just doing this shit to make sure the pipes are clean. I don't really need to. I'm not really putting down no real work. I'm just trying to see if this sentence works and how it feels. It's not just saying same. it into a mic. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think a lot of comics. I think we've uh we've become microwave with it. Like we want to have a perfect half hour because we thought of it in the car or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but you know, that's. That's a part of it too. Sometimes the opportunities, um, and this is a blessing to be in that space, the opportunities out out uh, exist the, um, the practice. Like if somebody said, yo, can you come do <clears throat> a Comedy Central half hour next week? You haven't had time to work it out. Yeah. But you're not gonna say no either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you can't. That's it. <laughs> you can. You can. Oh, yeah. But if it's your first one, you're not going to say no. 
Mm. Same thing with a late night spot. Like you might not have been practicing your five minutes. That's why all of a sudden people come out like, hey, can I do five? Can I run? But it can literally happen like that. Especially for people who I would say 90% of my opportunities have come from other comedians or just the game. I haven't had a manager or agent, not a real one. Mm-hmm. I've had like two managers I had to fire, but I real where like they're working for me and getting me shit. Mm. None of that has happened. No, no manager has ever gotten me anything. I don't even know how to get a manager. Like everything I've gotten in this game has been from another comic throwing me a bone or introducing me to somebody who could help me or me making it and then somebody paying attention later. I don't know how to get a manager either. I thought <laughs> once I got a writing job that they would hit me up and it just didn't work like that. Mm. And then there was one thing where, like, some managers have their own clauses where they're like, well, I don't want to work with two people who are friends. Why not? a lot of smoke and mirrors with a lot of shit, but I just keep going in the meantime. Why would they not want to work with people who know each other? Like, do they even defend it or you just say that's a rule they made and that's how it is? Like, well, especially if, like, they're both black dudes. They're like, well, I don't want there to be an awkward, I don't know who to give this job to or whatever. It sounded like bullshit, but hey, either way, it's it's a no. So whatever. I'll just do, keep doing it the way that I've been doing it. Uh, well, um, can you talk about the things you're writing for right now? Are things you write written so far or not yet? I'm writing for, I just we just finished season one of a show called uh, Run the World which is going to be on stars. The original oh. release date was September 28th, but you know, COVID Corona, uh, premium cable. Woo, woo. So whenever they finish or start or figure out how they're going to shoot it, they'll shoot it and it should be on stars soon. Oh, I don't, I, uh, the, the guy I was talking to, uh, you linked me with to write. He told me like, you know, being in Cleveland ain't really the best place to try to, <laughs> <laughs> find your way. And I'm like, if I can email you what I got, but either way, you know, that's just the, the game is weird. Like, do you have to leave the Midwest or have to live in LA is my, uh, my biggest argument with them. Like, I don't know if I really have to uproot and leave my city behind to, to be good at this stuff. Well, to be good at it. I, no, you don't. The, a lot of, some of the opportunities I got, I had to be in New York. And it wouldn't make sense financially to get on a plane to go do it. Mm. Sometimes I was just there and all I had to do was hop on a train to get to this TV thing or this whatever opportunity. So, yeah, you don't have to do anything. And (laughs) most people won't do anything unless they're in a position where they're like, they feel the need to. Some people say, should I go to New York or LA? I'm like, you'll you'll know if you have to keep saying no to opportunities. Mm. Or if you have to say no to one big opportunity, you're like, damn, if I lived in New York, if I lived in LA, I wouldn't have had to say no. But I mean, can't you? I still think I can travel. Well, granted, right now it's impossible. Nothing's really happening right now, but the I'm travel. Not saying anybody has to do anything. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you don't know. understand. You're not if understand. You don't feel like, the need. If you don't feel the need to move, don't move. 
I just don't want to leave and then still be in the same position. That's the thing. I don't want a lateral move. That's my thing. Okay. I don't want some guarantee. Don't move there. Or something. Don't move there. Oh, man. I don't know. Ain't no, ain't no you should move advice. No. Because even if somebody's telling... I used to be like, well, I ain't going to move unless somebody's telling me to. But somebody could be telling to you to move, and then you still got to wait six months to a year. Hmm. When I moved, it made sense because the internet wasn't as popping to where people will pluck. But then you got to look at, okay, who they plucking though? Are they plucking black dudes in their 30s? Are they plucking, we're just being honest. Yeah, I get it. Are they plucking black dudes in their 30s from the non-New York, LA? Or they plucking whatever? And then you got to look at, okay, well... How is my internet presence? I will say it's hard to be like, I'm not going to be an internet comic and I'm not going to move. I'm saying that, I'm, I think that's a tough position yeah. to put yourself in. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm not, I'm not against either one of those. I'm just not, I know I'm better at moving than I would be at an internet comic. Because uh, I don't, that's content, they making content faster than I can. So I can't that's knock that. them. I never knock them anyway. I, I respect the fuck out of them because I can't do it. It's not like it's easy. Yeah, because imagine people who moved right before quarantine. Whew. Yeah. Or, I knew a month, or a month before quarantine. I knew guys who were hurt because they missed festivals, let alone they got a new apartment and everything got put on hold. Yeah. If COVID had happened, uh, if quarantine had happened a month earlier, I'd have been, I probably wouldn't be in LA. Ooh, you just got, yeah, because I thought, yeah, because last time we talked, I thought you were still in New York. You had just moved to New York last time I talked to you, I think. That was 2013. Like, I was in, I moved to L.A. last March. Yeah, yeah, you was was in New York for years, my fault, yeah. Yeah, and I had just moved to L.A. I had moved to L.A. last year, and then it took me 11 months to get a writing job after moving out here. Um... But if it had been that 12th month, it wouldn't have even started. We at least got a chance to get two weeks of in-person writing done. And then we were able to work from home. But if COVID had hit a month earlier, I probably would have just went. I probably would have just be in Chicago still. Mm. But thankfully it didn't. I got to join WGA and, you know, applying for insurance and all that stuff. So everything is timing. Sometimes I just look at comedy like hitting the casinos, man. You just keep rolling the dice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I realize that too. At this point, I'm starting to play every game I can. Like, uh, yeah, the writing. Yeah. The writing thing started. I've been wanting to write stuff, but I never, all it took was your one comment that, yo, y'all trying to do it, hit me. I'm like, well, shit. Uh, Right. I got a couple things. And I, I just sent you, I actually sent it to you this minute, like while we're here. This is gonna be very inside the conversation, but it's COVID conversation. Fuck it. I'm happy about it. But mm-hmm. I just sent you the thing and I was like, yeah, I'm that's one. I did the whole deck in one like uh, I talked to the dude Saturday about laying it out and we just finished it last night and I'm gonna do another one. I got some other stuff I'm gonna just try and plug out and just get the structure down. Yeah. Get told no as many shots as I can because being told no don't mean anything. Your yes record, only thing they see. August Wilson said, 
after he finished a project, he wouldn't get up from his keyboard till after he started the next one. Mm. And that's how you just keep that going. I like that. Dropping yeah. jewels. See, I appreciate you, man. I'm old, man. I'm a vet. I'm a young OG. That's true. Because you are, what, you're 37, 36? 37. But not even... Okay, not you're, even. You're, you're a year older than me uh, chronologically, but comedically, I think you're seven years older than me. Or four. No, you're four or five years older than me, I think. Right. I lived in the three major cities. Chicago, LA, and New York. So I, I've seen some things. I don't know everything, but I've seen some things. And all of that still came down to right place at the right time. Mm. So mm. age age in the game don't you know require anything. And I still like find myself almost making young comic mistakes because you constantly have to make sure you don't get a big head about things or don't get ahead of yourself or think you know everything. It's hard because I have a certain personality type. And I'm also like, this is another thing I noticed. People, especially black dudes born in a certain age, we have rapper mentality. Yes, don't we? We have rapper mentality of army of one and even if you talk about this, we got to, black men in general, we have to re-examine how we respond to disrespect or being disrespected and how we take, like, you're a joke maker, you know, ease up. Yeah, I, I've gotten better with that with time and patience where somebody yeah. is saying words to me is an opinion. I don't take it past that. Like, it's just your opinion of me at this time. That's fine. Like, it's not... You're not really changing my life. I don't have a, a scarlet letter or some weird shit like that on my chest for being like this conversation won't carry past this room. Absolutely. It, unless you carry that energy, you know, it's just, I, it's easier to do when you have certain, some level of, of traction that you've made or some level of except when shit ain't going right, I'm sensitive to everything. And everything's a personal assault. Fuck everybody. The worse I feel about myself, the worse my actions are. Because I feel like I ain't shit, so fuck it. Mm. And we get off, a lot of comments get off looking for a heckler to lay into. They yeah. go on stage with that energy. And it's fine yeah. with your jokes, but like, you look, and that's why like, at its peak, going back and forth, roasting somebody, getting on somebody, it's at its peak, it's best when you're laughing, everybody's laughing, and the person who's being ridiculed is like, okay, that was funny too. Yeah. For a person to be um walk away from unless they're being they're drunk and being disrespectful to you or talking too much, which clubs gotta do a better job of removing people, but they should be laughing too and go like, you know what? All right, maybe I'm doing too much. The fact that you have a microphone already puts you at an advantage and you're elevated. And so everybody sees really you, they don't see the person. That's the one thing too. They don't see the person. Because one thing I realized when I, uh, if I do go back and forth with somebody, it's always tease but don't insult. 
That's what I keep it. Whereas, like, I'll tease you about something, but I'll never, like, if you're a bigger person, especially a woman, I'm not making fun of your weight and calling you a bitch. Like, that's not funny to me. Like, but if you're being obnoxious, I'll say, hey, man, how much have you had to drink tonight? God damn. Like, that type of stuff. Not like, yeah, who this fat bitch? Because then, like, now it's aggressive and it's hard to make that funny again. And I feel like a lot of the venues where you have to be aggressive aren't going to survive the quarantine. So, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Venues that like the only people in there is bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you got to call it as you see it. A lot of those types of venues, ignorant ass crowds. I think a lot of those are not going to survive. Sorry, not going to survive this because they don't miss comedy. They just miss the famous person that was a headliner. They don't really care about the actual joke telling. They just want to see a celebrity that night, which is fair. Yeah, yeah. they just want to sell tickets. They don't give a fuck who buying it. They ain't going to tell them to calm down. They ain't going to give them no rules because they just want people in the door. Yeah. They don't give a fuck about comedy. And those clubs are packing. Those Some of those clubs are the ones that are open now and just throwing the lineup together, which is, I get it. Pay the bills, but comedy don't really live here. <laughs> You're selling the illusion of comedy. The illusion of it all, yep. Like it's like a strip club that sells love. Like, yeah, I fell in love with a stripper. You don't really that's, fall in love with strippers, man. That's when you go in with that gladiator mentality. Mm. Them venues that like it's strip clubs at night and then from six to eight is a comedy show. You're just like, you just trying to make as much money as possible, which is fine, but yeah, everybody everybody ain't meant to run a comedy club. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are restaurant owners. That have got a stage. <laughs> My biggest bomb was in front of Joe Torrey in Bloomington. I was about maybe a year in. And my cousin got me on a show. And it was every black person in Bloomington was there. <laughs> the sheriff was there. What? I'm talking every black Bloomington, not Bloomington, Indiana, Bloomington, Illinois. Okay. Which is yeah, no Bloomington is black. So <laughs> it was every and I mean, and then Kenny Howe, Def Jam legend, he was hosting, he roasted me so bad. I was still doing impressions back then. That's how long ago this was. I was still doing a Denzel impression. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> And I was trying to work it. No. I think that was the first time I had performed in front of a black audience that paid to get into the show. Mm -hmm. That is a good feeling, though. It's weird that even though we don't get paid more or get paid sometimes for those shows, it kind of feels good to be on a show like, yeah, they had to pay to see me tonight. They was not... I didn't. I wish I had it on tape. <laughs> Just, I don't like. I'm already humble enough, but guaranteed humble button to see like just bombing like that, man. And I was still like, it, it's just I've melded it like because in Chicago, so segregated. I would do North Side rooms, which was white, Black Side rooms, Blacks. Black rooms were on the south side. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, 
by jumping in both. It's almost like playing at the Rucker and playing in the NBA, you kind of, I eventually got one voice out of so where I could do the same jokes no matter what side of town I'm on. At that point, I had only did Northside rooms. Mm, and this is your first black room. Six months. Yeah. First yeah. six months. I had did a black room, but it was like three minutes on, and Lil Rel was the host. So the crowd was like, I don't care what he's saying. Lil Rel coming back. <laughs> I pay, I got my five dollars worth. Lil Rel is hosting. Yeah, this is just a little break for us, and I still got some jokes off, but I didn't know how to put a set together. It wasn't until I did the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition that after that I learned, oh, I gotta have a three minute set. I gotta have a pre prepared five minute. I gotta have a pre prepared ten minute, twenty minute set. I didn't know that. Hmm. That talk, it was just like, I would just go off the, oh, I'll just be funny on stage, which which is good, but it ain't the place if people are paying, especially $20 in Bloomington. Yeah, I think I learned, learned about a set uh, probably after I lost, like two, con- I lost two contests at the same club. And I, I realized that I'm doing something wrong and I wasn't, really being a comedian because guys who were being funny, I was like, man, I heard that joke before. But yeah, I heard that joke in Cleveland. We're in another city doing this thing. Like, yeah, the jokes travel, stupid. And it took, it took me that, it took me lost to really realize that, oh, he's doing the same jokes. Maybe I should try to, to work on a joke that I could say twice also. Right. Yeah. Because I was just like, oh, I, I did that for a minute. I was the, I'm going to do a new set every time. Uh, comedian and just like nah what yeah after you, after you start going you're like there's no point now i guess it's you just freestyling nobody right. to, nobody has a hit freestyle no, no platinum freestyles they got some written's in there yeah some pre-written's in there that make that's is compared to back to the hip-hop thing it is more like a yeah your set is your album versus your your hot nine seven freestyles it's cool people fuck with it for a moment but just that moment the album ain't getting played in the whole summer. You getting one week, one one good old news cycle, maybe it's, if you're lucky. Some of the vets would be not only doing their album cuts, they were doing other people's album cuts on the road. Mm. Oh. That was a crazy. That was a crazy lesson I learned. When I was just like, man, I'm trying to impress the vets. What you mean they be doing? So you mean like comics? Not no names, of course. But they were like some a comic would do another comic's jokes on the road. Yeah, and I had came in the game with such respect for the older heads that they were like, I wanted to impress them. So that's what kind of garnered my writing up. But some of them, once I got to the point that I was funny enough, it was like my jokes were showing up in cities I never been to. Mm. I ain't, oh. I, ain't, I ain't no joke police ass motherfucker where it's like, whatever, whatever, because I'm still doing my shit. But like, that was like a turning point of feeling like, oh, I don't have to. I'm going to write great jokes because I want to get paid for them, not because I'm trying to impress. That's when I stopped trying to impress older comics. I'm, like, oh, I'm already doing that enough to where they're doing my shit. And they would fuck up and then come back to the city and still like need them laughs. 
So then I see them, they've been doing my shit on the road. So when they come back, they do it again. I'm like, wait, what? Hmm. Cause you don't even know how, cause the crowd didn't heard your old, whatever old stuff you was doing. The new stuff is other people's shit. So when you come back to the city, you doing other people's shit or bombing. Cause they ain't doing other people's shit no more. Cause they right there in the crowd. Mm. And everybody know that's like, it's certain shit that I was doing in Chicago. That was just like, that was my, that's a Clark, that's some Clark shit. I confronted somebody. I heard somebody was doing my joke. I was like 20 minutes somewhere else. I hopped in the car, man. Somebody texted me like, hey, you killing up here with your lace front dreads. You killing up here with it. That's and funny. I hopped in the car, ran up there to a spot called Subterranean and confronted the dude. I told him, hey, let's step outside real quick. <laughs> and all the comics in the building knew what it was when I walked in. Cause they was like, cause they know that was that's my shit. It's certain shit that like, all right, that could be uh, parallel thinking, but it's certain like phraseologies when you come up with a phrase, yeah, that kills and people doing it. As soon as I walked in, everybody looked at me. That I just like, hey, let's let's talk outside, <laughs> But that's just I don't like having that type of energy because that could go left too. He could have he could have beat me up. But I was like, nah, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rectify this. Cause I sat and I bombed off other shit so I can come up with that. You ain't have to go through the bombing part to come up. You just said it because it was somebody else. That's why a joke hurts when it gets stolen. Cause yeah, you actually had to you made this joke from scratch. It wasn't a yeah. Uh, you couldn't just go to a, a joke store and buy that that kit. This person just put their name on it after the work was already done. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the best way to describe why people get so upset about it. It's not like you can't write more jokes, but it's the fact that I don't want to have to... I'm going to write more jokes, but I want to have to do it because somebody took my old ones. I want to get rid of them on my own, not some because somebody ran through them and even usually fucked them up, set them wrong without context because it wasn't his idea or her idea, whoever right. you know, the, the comic's idea. Or bomb the rest of the set, and that was their only laugh. Right? So, like, yeah, man, I mean, it, it fucking sucks. But, because also, if somebody heard him first, then when I say it, they gonna think I stole from him. Yeah, that's the other part. Whoever said it or first. It. I had a woman still, one of my, I'm like, somebody who was a friend, I'm like, bro, do you see how hard it was for me to come into Southside Rooms at first? Because they, I wasn't black enough. I was too cerebral and all the other shit. So I had to come up with shit that was still me that would work in these places. Like, y'all ain't go through that. So don't take, take, don't take from me when I had to take all them L's. That's the thing. I, yeah, I think we had the same type of uh, role with that one. Because here, I got told I, was, I do white boy comedy. Even though... I talk like I, we all heard the same music. We all had the same influence. I still talk like I love hip hop too. But when I'm on stage, I don't talk about growing up poor because I didn't. I don't talk about poverty the same. My poverty is now and even then it's still not. I don't have drugs in my family like that. You know, a couple of people might smoke weed, but nobody really left the, the, the reservation with shit. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have the same drug. I mean, jokes, my jokes, my context different. Like mine, I'm insecure about my relationship. Because of certain things, it's not like 
these aren't foreign concepts to people, but in certain parts of the city, especially here in Cleveland, some of them don't even get those jokes. Yeah, I don't. I I think the the whole pandering thing is weird because you, like I said, you wrote the jokes. You decide which ones you want to tell. It's not like you're just pandering. Is you're not even when you're not telling jokes. You're just saying like, oh man, I'm in Utah. This is great, and you don't believe that. But if you're making a joke, whatever joke you wrote, tell that shit. Kill, get paid, and get asked to come back again. I, don't, I still don't even. I don't care what another comic does on stage as long as they ain't taking none of my jokes. Go do what you do. And as long as they ain't shitting on the host or being a dickhead or shitting on the venue, say that for the headliner. Yeah, I, I yeah. Uh, that's one thing. Running the show, I hate when comics, if they, they would be so arrogant, they go like, oh, we could do this show in the car. It's like, I think you are the fourth comic up and nobody knows you. This is open mic. The real, the real whack shit is when it's a hot room. Yeah. That's- they, they just have pre-prepared bullshit-ass jokes. It room, the room hold 40 people. We got 32. You talking shit. Like, nigga, there's no seats in this bitch. Everybody got to sit next to somebody. And here you are talking like there's not enough people for you to perform. Comics would do that in Knitting Factory. Oh, we in fucking Brooklyn with the liberals and lip. Like, I'm just like, just tell, be funny. You just got, you're just so fucking, you're so fucking scared. And these are the whole, I'm not scared of anything comedians. But you're so fucking nervous that because you don't have jokes that you just assume the audience is going to hate you. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. You don't have jokes. Say that. <laughs> Stick to hosting because you don't have jokes. A lot of guys can't even host, though. Like sometimes they, they you ever been like, I don't know how your high school was growing up. But I know like it was be like that funny dude who everybody thought was the class clown, but he just was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that they host well. I'm saying yeah. that that's where, where they're most comfortable because uh, the people who are comedians can come up and do sets and you could just keep the show going. Yeah, because those guys, I never gave them credit. Where it's like, all you do is roast a person in the crowd thinking you, you're trying to be some TV impersonation of a comedian. Now I understand that when he did that shit, it worked in that room. And this ain't the same room. You ain't Martin Lawrence. You're not D.L. Hughley. You're not in Def Jam. You're not in comic. You're not in that room. Where this ain't 1992. Yeah. So you got people who pay good money to come out and have a good time. They didn't come out to get made fun of. Yep. Just bring the next comic up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I used to hate when they comics do five minutes between everybody talking about they trying to bring the crowd back. It's like, man. Well, they, weren't doing, they didn't bring the crowd up to begin with, but want to do material after a comic crushes. Yeah. And they're like, all right, let me start doing some time. No, no. no you blew that. You're supposed to do that in the beginning. Yeah. Again, all of these things are not like things that keep me up at night, but it's a way for comedy to be better. I think we had more training. I think it was actually like an OG. Like, you ever been to a golf course and there's an auto always an old golfer that try and give you tips to not suck? Man, you golf, you a white boy. Oh well, hey man. <laughs> well, I know it's like it's always that old be on the tennis court. Yeah, it's always an old head who like, hey man, uh, how you holding that? He, he just helps you. He just he don't want you to struggle. He's trying to save you some time. 
I yeah. try to deal with hearing sometimes with comments, but they think I'm being arrogant. It's like, dude, I'm just trying to tell you, don't go up there and say bitches out the gate. Like the girls don't even like you, my nigga. Like you're being an asshole to girls who don't even know you exist. Man, it was funny one time. It was during Pride Weekend about, couldn't have been last year, about two years ago. It was a comic who I thought was gay. That's why I booked him on the show. And he just went up there talking about bitches and oh my like, God. <laughs> and then I'm in the back and bombing with it. And I'm in the back like, wait a minute, okay, maybe he's just doing a character. <laughs> maybe like, maybe the real. Yeah, let's give it another. And he just kept going. And then he started talking about bitches more. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? So, some might say it was wrong with me, but I had to go up after that and clown because I told the crowd. Y'all about to enjoy the next comedian. And I wasn't mean about it. I just said, I, I thought you were gay. That's, that hurts the person's feelings. But that, that got the crowd. I'm pretty sure the crowd was like, yeah, that guy, he didn't make sense at all. Like he, oh, he the crowd was loving it. I had to explain why I booked that last comedian to the crowd so I can get them back for the other, for the other comments. That's fair. Actually, that's actually a great way to like if you told the audience like, hey, man, I'm don't. That was my fault. That's on me. That's it was, on a, me. It was a proud weekend show. And this dude is being like extra toxic. <laughs> yeah, I I've had a comment. Hey, we're going to keep the show going. I have a rule at, uh, at Grog Shop where you can't say words that don't apply to you. Like if you're gonna be derogatory to somebody, if they don't, if you can't get called the same thing and it hurts you, don't say it. Like I can say nigga because I can be called a nigga. It's not a whole gambit. I don't say other words because it doesn't apply, so it's not my fate. I, I don't know the context on how to use it properly. That's fair. A dude, a dude went on stage and made a joke about gay men, talking about how they are when you fight them, they gonna try to rape you and all this crazy, stupid, just dumb ass shit. And he, he, then, he said, then he dropped the, the worst word. He dropped the word on him. So I cut, I, cut, I cut the mic off. Like, hey, man, I don't really play that game here. He's in the back now talking about that's that blankety shit. And I'm like, okay, now nah, you're trying to... That, the word doesn't hurt my feelings, one. But now, but it, there was a comic on the show who was gay. And I'm like, yo, you don't understand. You are now making the environment uncomfortable for another comic. Exactly. And ain't about the people. If the people don't like your jokes, that's one thing. But comics are bitter, we're a team together and you are disrespecting your fellow teammate for no reason at all besides you trying to make a bad joke. I'm trying to make a bad joke. It ain't even like... There's oh, a even, it wasn't witty. It, like, it wasn't like the word was released and it came with the ha-ha. Like, it was no energy behind it that was funny. It was just straight mean and derogatory. So I'm like... Just anger, yeah. right. Just displaced anger. And then he went on a rant on Facebook calling me one. I'm like, you doing this? I don't care if you call me that. You can call me anything you want, honestly. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but the fact you're putting this in 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 like text form and publishing a fucking post on you Facebook. Still back to the show. And now you can't come to some other shows. Yeah. Like and I'm like, dude, now nah, we're done. He it's like we have nothing to talk about. Like you made your you made your stance clear because you went home and typed <laughs> a bunch. Like I was done with it, but you went home and typed how. I'm a gay gatekeeper and I only let gay men perform because I'm a blankety blank. I'm like, if you think that about me, that's fine. You ain't paying attention to comedy in the last four years. But Same. I don't know why. And it's like people blame groups on why they're not successful. I always thought that was a funny thing. <laughs> the Dilbert guy. 
Who's that? I don't know. They, the Dil- the creator Dilbert, he said he got fired from two jobs because he couldn't, or he, he didn't get two projects greenlit because he's white. Oh. That's what it was. It wasn't the talent. It's never the talent. Never the talent. Well, it's never like, oh, that never happens in the reverse. Like the compare, like the, the ratio is even. Yeah, you lost two jobs. That might be the only two jobs that white dudes have lost for being white. Yeah, because I mean. And I don't even buy it. I don't even buy it that it really even happened like that. Because motherfuckers love to leave out what they did wrong. That's true. That's true. Well, everybody's a victim now. It's easier. I mean, not to try and be like a talk radio hated guy, but like it's like it's easier to play the I didn't get this because the environment wasn't set up for me to win. Right. Because my my whole conversation to that is, well, what environment is set up for anybody to really win when it's something at stake? Yeah. I mean, the whole I'm more of a victim thing, that's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what people do. Yeah. I'm glad I got to commiserate with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we commiserate. Yeah. Black, uh, classic black dude podcast. Yes, sir. It's uh, on all streaming. I'm on all social. It's at theclarkjones.com. And whenever, and I I think it's going to be soon, maybe 2021 when it actually debuts but uh run the world it's great it's gonna be on stars and uh yeah man keep keep supporting comics that you love and comics that you like even through all this even if they're a little quiet sometimes like you know when they do tweet something re- retweet that shit follow me hello john <laughs> yes sir also check your email uh, i mean check your messages when we get done with this so. sure definitely <laughs> But my pleasure, man. Thank you for being on the podcast. For sure, sure. All right. Hey, man. Yep. Oh. This episode of Friday Late Show was produced and edited by Jeremy Demery of Golden Ox Studios.